Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and welcome to Guide Talk Live. This is our first opportunity to be together. <laughs> it is fantastic. So glad you're here. This is quite thrilling for all of us. You know, the Bible says we're supposed to love the people that we disagree with. So let me introduce you to them. <laughs> We've got Pastor Tom Parrish, Pastor Justin Jepson, also known as 007. Pastors Tom Brock and Dr. Peter Kapsner. That is the power panel for today, and thank you for all the questions you've already asked in advance. I want to start off today, gentlemen, with a question that I have been thinking about for quite a while, and that is this. What does it mean to be in one accord? Now, I've heard we need unity in Christ. Of course, that's true, but I hear about 10 or 12 times in the New Testament that we need to be of one accord. I don't know if I know what that means. Who'd like to go first? This is a live show. It's a struggle. <laughs> it's a struggle for human beings, and I'll tell you why it's a struggle. It's a struggle because I am continually fighting within me who's going to be in charge, whether Jesus is going to be in charge or I'm going to be in charge. And the unity can't come about until we come to one mind. And when we come to one mind, that's the mind of Jesus. One of the things I always did to my leaders is I told them this. Until we all come to one mind in Jesus Christ, none of us fully understands the mind of Jesus in this regard. And we operated that way, and it kept us out of a lot of trouble. Hmm. Well, I got a letter this week from a man who uh, saw my TV show, and he informed me that I'm not saved because I don't attend the kind of church he attends. And this guy is hyper-conservative, and his is the only true church on earth. And... You know, I had to write him back saying thanks, but I think I'm saved. Well, we'll, <laughs> and, uh, we'll miss you in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, here's the deal. All of us up here are, have unity, even though these guys oh, yeah. don't believe like I do on baptism or he doesn't believe like I do on predestination. But on all the big, big stuff, we have agreement. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, I can remember when I was part of a liberal denomination, I had so much more unity with my Baptist friends than I did with my liberal Lutheran bishop. So there is an instant unity that is around Christ himself and the basics that, um, you know, it's, it's all over the world. Yeah, I appreciate what you said too, just uh, Brock, about the fact that we might disagree on some of the theological things that historically people have always disagreed mm-hmm. about, that you, you legitimately can come to different conclusions and hold to the authority of Scripture, just trying to sort these things out because they're tricky issues. Yeah. It's not the easiest thing in the world yeah. to, to do that. But I think of one accord means that you are still passionately together towards pursuing the truth yes. and that, and that mm-hmm. you are emotionally and, and you care deeply about the kingdom together. Now, you may, again, disagree on some of the outcomes. There's certain things we have to agree on, right? I mean, the yes. tomb yes. was empty. Jesus did die in, in our place. There's some of these really key parts that Christianity rises and falls mm-hmm. with. But there's a number of things that I would say to be of one accord is the idea that you will stay in it together as you're pursuing those things together and, and you're for one another in that process. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's helpful to, to think of it in terms of concentric circles. So I think as, uh, as Christians, there are certain issues that they are to die for issues. So the, you have to believe this in order to be a Christian, you know, that, that Jesus is the, is the Christ, the son of God. He is the way, the truth and the life that, that the crosses, the cross, the empty tomb. And then and there outside of that are, are issues that we would that defend, you know, those would be maybe some of the issues concerning church governance or baptism or gifts of the spirit, um, men and women's roles in ministry, very important, right? But Christians do differ on those and they organize themselves and collect themselves differently. And then there's outside of that of, uh, issues that we would discuss, you know, a lot of what we do here. Yeah, right? Right, right. And so, and I love the way, you know, Augustine said, you know, in, in the essentials, we need to have unity. And I think part of that unity is recognizing that we're part of still of the same body. We're many members, but the same body, um, in the non-essentials, we need to have Liberty. So they have to give each other license and give each other grace for those differences. We, we need to be careful not to allow those differences to divide us, but we can actually celebrate those and still work together. Uh, but in all things, charity or in all things, love, right. And, um, and Bill, I think, you know, you said it's mentioned in several times. This maybe is, is one of them. And that's your uh, comment Tom brought up uh, for me. First, first Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united to the same mind and the same judgment. And he says, for it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarreling among you. My brothers, what does it mean when each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ? Is Christ divided? Right? And that idea is like, none of those people mean anything. Christ is one and in all and through all. And so I think it's recognizing our source, our identity of belonging is in Christ. That's awesome. That's all the material I've prepared. Uh, thank, you. <laughs> thank you so much for coming. Uh, oh, wait a minute. I got my station manager looking at me here. This is not good. No. All right, here's another great question. Where do people get the idea of making a deal with God? Is it biblical? For example, God, if you save me out of these circumstances, then I'll be devoted to you. Mm. Well, it is kind of biblical. God, if, you find, if I find 50 people in Sodom, won't you kill it? No, I went, uh, how about 40? You know, so Abraham is dealing with the Lord there in that story. Didn't work. Gideon's fleece. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. now, now someone give the correct answer. <laughs> yeah, I, I, go ahead, Tom. There's no real reality of bargaining with the Lord. He already knows from beginning to end. He literally steps, is outside of time. He sees everything from beginning to very end. What he wants us to do, though, is to come to him asking. And sometimes we come and ask very stupidly. You know, Lord, if you get me out of this mess, then I'll go on to, you know. The... And he says, yeah, that's not exactly how it's going to work, but I'm going to take you where you're at and take you to the next step. And hopefully the goal is, is that we mature, as we mature in the Lord Jesus Christ, we quit playing that game of bargaining. We start saying, Lord, whatever you want, I will do it. And that's real Christian maturity, and we seem to see a lot more of that today. Yeah, I think that's so good. I, I think we live in a, in a culture in which everything is so transactional between us, right? Like, I will do this for you if you do this for me. We live in these social contracts that are written and unwritten with one another. And, and so I think we so often bring that idea to God as well. I, it, to, to live in Christian humility and Christian love and to be with one another where you, you surrender your life in the community to one another well, that's how our relationship with God is supposed to be at the end of the day. To, to treat God as if he's some sort of transactional equal, I, I think, reduces God so substantially to just basically being a genie in the bottle for the things that I want, as opposed to saying, you know what, you are my shepherd. I trust you. Uh, let your will be done. 
that, that's a tough place to come to in American culture where we're always talking about what power we might have or what we can do or who we can use and how, whose back we can scratch to kind of get what we want. So to live a life of faith in that kind of situation is not the easiest thing when we're so used to just kind of using one another for, for transactions. Mm-hmm. Awesome. This question is from Pat, who's in our studio audience today, and she has the best penmanship. She's a teacher, and she, she prints like a typewriter. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> She said, Jesus called the Holy Spirit a comforter and an advocate. Although the Holy Spirit is said to be one of the three persons of the Trinity, he's often revealed in scriptures as more of a spirit, as a dove, tongues of fire, and Jesus breathed the spirit into the disciples after his resurrection. How can I see the spirit uh, as more of a person? How is the Holy Spirit revealed in scripture as a person? Ooh. <laughs> Justin? <laughs> <laughs> See, he you does this. Call the guy that wants to go. Yeah, the worst. Uh, go, go ahead, Justin. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's. Uh, when you think of the idea of personhood. I mean, the Holy Spirit's. It's never referred to in the New Testament as it. There are personal pronouns, right? And so, I, I think that idea of the Holy Spirit descending like a dove or appearing like as of flames of fire. So, there's different similes or metaphors used for the Holy Spirit. Um, but we know that, that the Lord is spirit, you know, that, that, that God is spirit. And of course, um, you know, the only person of uh, the Trinity who has a body now is Jesus. And so that's why we see the fullness of God in him was pleased to dwell, right? And so I think we, we look at um, viewing the Holy Spirit as, as a person, um, uh, again, because it's the, we are the very temple of the Holy Spirit, right? It's the very spirit of Christ living in, in us. And I think so often we can begin to refer, when we refer to the Holy Spirit, we re- usually talk about the Holy Spirit as if it isn't is it, is it, right? I think even the way we talk about the Holy Spirit is Holy Spirit come down, Holy Spirit fall upon us. Even the language we use sometimes in church and in our prayer is if he's some force to be, you know, beckoned or, or summoned rather than a person to be submitted to, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit's God. And so I think if we uh, begin to actually just use the same language that the Bible uses, I think that helps to reorient our mind in the way that we think about the Holy Spirit. Yeah, one of the thoughts I had as I sitting up here on stage, one of the images I like is that the world and life is like a stage. God the Father is off in the wings. We're not going to see him, but he orchestrates everything that's going on. Up in the balcony, the big spotlight is the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's role is to shine light on the person in the middle, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. When you are aligned with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are aligned with the power of the Spirit and the Father. And the interesting part is, Jesus became flesh so we could actually see him, touch him, hear from him. Because we don't touch the Holy Spirit in that way. The Holy Spirit touches us. But when I get touched by the Holy Spirit, it's usually I'm touched in the sense that I need to pray for somebody, move in somebody's heart, repent of something. And it's because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And that's how I've seen it for a long time, and I try to explain it that way. Hmm. But I, can I say, I think we have to be careful with that, too, because sometimes we can attribute different parts of the way God works to different persons of the Trinity. So we, sometimes we think sure. about it in terms of, well, the Father's the Creator, the Son's the Savior, and the Holy Spirit is the one who indwells us. Well, and if you look really carefully, I mean, it's the whole Father, Son, and Spirit are involved in every aspect. Everything. So they're all, so in the same, and they're all omnipresent. Yes. So, you know, on one hand, the Father isn't in the rafters away from us. The Father's just as present with us as the Spirit is, as the Son is, because they each share equally all the attributes yeah. of divinity, right? And so, yeah, but I think you, it can sir, be helpful to think about it in those terms, but I think we... Well, there, this is what the theologians struggle with, modalism and all the other sure. terminology about what happens. 
And I think I just heard you've got a mission to go on, so. <laughs> <laughs> My plan to Kosovo is going to arrive in any moment. Yeah, yes. I feel the tension. But I will. Right. If I can say a word, Bill. Oh, yeah. No, okay. <laughs> or sing a song. Can uh, you do it? Je Jehovah's Witnesses deny the Trinity. That They deny the Holy Spirit as a person. And when we say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three persons, we don't mean that there's three bodies sitting on three thrones, but each has a personality in the sense, mind, will, and intellect. And, and so the Jehovah's Witnesses would say the Holy Spirit is a force, but he's not a person. But according to Ephesians, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve a force. Right. According to the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit talked and said, set apart from me, uh, Paul and Barnabas. So the Holy Spirit talks. He um, can be grieved. And I, that... I mean, I don't think anything's wrong when you go to some of these huge cathedrals and you see a huge painting up and you've got God the Father on one throne and Jesus on another and a dove on another. That kind of helps us try to figure stuff out. But I, I wouldn't take it too literally. Uh, All right, we'll take a little break. You're listening to Guy Talk, or guys who talk, and here they are live and in person. We're so glad you're joining us today. If you have a question, let me know what it is. You can text it over to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. 8-4. We'll be right back. That was yeah, totally yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nobody asked for that. No. <laughs> Except for Peter. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got a great studio audience here today. And the next question is going to be a live ask from a gentleman named Nate. Nate, welcome. Hi. Uh, my question today is, as a 16-year-old involved in and thinking about going into ministry, what would be each of your best advice on that? Also, any helpful tips on leading small groups for teenagers or whatever? Also, P.S., I love the intro music for this talk show. Cool. <laughs> That's really nice. All right, gentlemen? Yeah, I, I mean, Nate, part of my work at Northwestern on the other side of the street here is to be with young ministry majors. And, and certainly the landscape has changed substantially, even in the 13 years that I've been teaching within these kinds of programs. And by that, I mean that a lot of the bigger organization kind of churches or just churches in general in terms of people coming it's, it's on the decline in terms of these large organizations with pastoral staffs and structures. And, and I think what I would encourage you to think about is that that is simply a wineskin, to use the language of the biblical text. Uh, the, the wine is what we're looking for f to, to flow throughout the people of God that are following Jesus, shining his light in the world. And so organizationally, I think things are going to change in the future pretty substantially for your generation and the generations to come. That doesn't mean the kingdom is under threat at all. It's not. It just means the way that the kingdom organizes itself together as a people is going to change. And so I, I think some of us feel some angst because the way we've experienced the church or the way we've, we've experienced the gathering seems to be on the decline. And I just want to encourage you, the kingdom is going to remain you know, forever and mm -hmm. ever and ever. And people have organized themselves in light of that kingdom in a lot of different kinds of ways. So become a student of history, become a student of culture. How have mm -hmm. the people following Jesus organized themselves in, in ways that continue to be faithful to that kingdom, even if it doesn't mean a steeple with a sign and a website and a staff and all of that. Mm -hmm. And when I was your age, I go to my pastor and 
Now, Pastor Schatz, I th I'm thinking about maybe becoming a pastor. He kind of said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I went away from, I mean, he wasn't that blunt, but it was kind of discouraging. I left going, eh? And then my friend Glenn went to my same church. Years later, we talked about this. Yeah, he did the same thing to me. And he had, I think he had the view that you do this only if you can't not do it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't do anything but preach the gospel. It's mm -hmm. why I'm on the planet. Mm -hmm. And you've got to discern whether that's your call or not. I mean, every Christian has a different calling. Some to be a Christian dad or mother or uh, a good teacher and good penmanship. <laughs> but you've got to discern. You know, no offense, some pastors, I mean, when, when you get in the pulpit and you put people to sleep, did you miss your calling? You know? So you've got to just pray, Lord, what are my gifts? Bounce it off some other Christians. Is this, what do you think are my uh, uh, gifts? And then if you think that's it, you go for it. And you, yeah. of course you submit it to the Lord. Yeah. Nathan, I, lo I love your question. Um, and, and you said, um, just to pick up on one important word, you said call. And, and that idea, and I think when there's a call on, on all of our lives as Christians in general, but when you're asking about a call to ministry, I, I have experienced that it's usually something that's personally or internally ignited, but it's externally confirmed within the context of the, mm -hmm. of the body of Christ. And so immerse yourself in the local church now. And you've been asking, it sounds like you already are for asking about how to lead small groups. But I would say even beyond uh, and more importantly, remember that your first call um, is not to ministry, mm -hmm. but it's to intimacy. With and the Lord. so with the yep. Lord. So if you look at Mark chapter three, verse 15, when Jesus called the apostles, it says that he called those whom he desired up to the mountain in order that they might be with him. And notice that being with him is central first and primary. And then he sent them out to preach and to cast out demons and, do, and to do ministry. And so remember that ministry is not something we go do for Jesus. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. And that makes all the difference. Um, and then when it comes to leading, um, you know, you talked about hurting cats. I think hurting, you know, when it comes to like uh, having a discussion with junior high boys, it's like hurting squirrels with their tails on fire. <laughs> right. And so, and I think that I have found too, it's rather than trying to get them focused to tell them something, um, learn to ask really good questions uh, about their lives and to dig in because, um, you know, there's that old adage, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And when you're asking questions and digging into their lives and they're, you're going to find that they're going to let you in and then you're going to actually gain a bridge of trust that can carry the truth um, of the gospel that you can share with them. So. Wow. I'm excited for you. It's an exciting place to go. But I know this reality. I graduated in 1978 from seminary. 90% of my classmates are no longer in the ministry. They didn't retire. They just quit and did something else. I think the difference is simply this. You have to look deep inside and make sure that your passion is for Jesus. Love the people but don't have any surprises about human behavior. <laughs> <laughs> Love them anyway, but really pursue Jesus. And you know what? I discovered I could do, I've done that. I've been able to do that now for over 50 years. And my passion for Jesus today is no less than it was back in 1974 when he literally spoke to me. Boy, it's hard to believe that there's people that don't like these guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't talk to those people anymore except at hol holiday gatherings. <laughs> 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 there you go, Bill. Thank you. Yeah, no, no. I, 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 lo I, I love you guys. So, all right. Here's another great question that came in from a listener. Why does the Lord's Prayer say, lead me not into temptation, when James 1.13 says God doesn't tempt anyone? 
I think it's different to be tempted versus being led into the place of temptation. I mean, that's, I think, the distinguishing feature there. But, uh, but my understanding of that is it's acknowledgement of your weakness. It's acknowledgement that, that you don't have what it takes to, to stand up into these places. And so it, it's a request for mercy, uh, from what I understand in that passage, to be able to say that I, I don't want to be in that place of temptation because I, I am weak. Although I think God leads us still sometimes into those places in order that what is true can be revealed and so that his grace can meet us there. But yeah, not, God's not tempting us, but he might lead us into the place where we might be tempted. And Luther wrote um, regarding each petition of the Lord's Prayer, for instance, give us this daily bread, this day our daily bread. Well, why ask that when he gives us our daily bread? He gives us to unbelievers. Well, we do it so that we'll be thankful. Mm-hmm and mindful of that and does god ever want us to sin or 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 cause us to sin no but we still we pray we won't get in the uh atmosphere of it so that we'll fall and god can prevent that kind of thing so yeah yeah i think that's that is a really interesting phrase too because it you know on one hand it's in luke 4 and matthew 4 it says the spirit drove jesus into the wilderness to be Mm -hmm. tempted by the devil right and then you're thinking hold on a second Mm -hmm. But I think the key is the second half of that, but deliver us from the evil one. Yeah. And so I think that um, if we're being a part of saying, Lord, lead us, to stop right there. I, I want to be led by the Lord. And even if he leads me into a place of wilderness where uh, he's going to allow a time of testing or temptation, yeah. the second half of that prayer is deliver us from the evil one in the same way that, that God delivered Jesus in in, in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. As these guys know, I'm always looking at the Greek when I do this, read the New <laughs> Testament. And that word temptation literally means time of testing. Yeah. It means a time of proofing. And what we're basically saying is, Lord, uh, he's not going to put something in front of me that's going to bring me down. But he will allow me to go into circumstances that will force me to make a choice who I'm going to serve, him or something else. And we all go through that. We all face that every day. Fortunately, when we fall, we can repent and he'll restore us. But the goal is to grow more and more and more. And I always tell people the goal of the Christian life is to repent sooner (laughs) rather than later and to narrow the time between when you're tempted and when you actually respond to Jesus. And eventually, for some people, I've seen it totally eliminated, Mm. the problem. Mm. Well, don't you guys think that one of the key signs of of spiritual maturity is actually humility? Like to the Mm. extent that you're growing in humility is the extent that you're also growing in spiritual maturity. And I think when you're face to face with your limitations, that so often happens in those places of of temptation. What is true about you is revealed and Mm -hmm. and you begin to walk in humility. And that can then lead to the maturity and the power that's available in the kingdom. But that's Mm. kind of that upside down weird thing that the kingdom is. And Paul says to Timothy, flee youthful lust. Don't stand firm. Get out of there. And I can think there's an old saying, better to shun the bait than struggle on the hook. So you just, I don't have, I don't have cable. Where do you t- come up with this stuff? No, okay. I've heard to preach a gazillion. We live with this all the time. He's been around for a long time. But yeah. I mean, just don't have, don't have, I mean, I don't have cable TV in my house because it's too, regular TVs from hell. T- cable TV is really from hell. So just so I don't look at stuff I shouldn't, I don't get cable in my house. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's really hard to know where to go. Uh, on that note. Uh, yeah, there's an odd pause. Right. <laughs> it's perfect time to take a break. We're coming up against the uh, top of the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take a break. But when we come back, lots more Guy Talk Live. And if you have a question, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back.
Every week, I know. They need to come this every is great. Week. This is amazing. Can I quote John Crawford? You may. You know, people say, Pastor Tom, do you mind when people ask for your autograph? Which they never do. I just quote Joan Crawford. Mind when they stop asking. That's when I'll mind. <laughs> Isn't that just, the smaltiest thing you've ever heard? I'm just curious, how many use the show as a natural sleep aid? At night? <laughs> question comes from Katie, who's right here in our studio audience. Katie, welcome. Hey, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, I'm just wondering, with the holiday season coming upon us very soon, what um, what style of sharing your testimony might you put out? Because we are called to the Great Commission, be bold, sharing our testimony. And mm. how do each of you do that? Maybe give some of us ideas so we'll do it more often. It's a great question. Yep, that's um, a good one. Yeah, and I think oft, you know um, people often say, and I found it to be true that people are more open to spiritual conversations around holidays and certainly there's other events, um, you know, like a funeral or what, you know, different things like that. Um, for me personally, I, I mean, I, I have my, my approach is just is conversational, and so um, I my I came to faith in Christ um, by learning about Jesus's second coming, so I knew that He had come first. Uh, you know, way back then, but I had no idea that he was coming again. And that opened up the whole new realm of recognizing if I didn't know something as important as Jesus not coming to earth, I must not really know who he is. And so, um, so for me, if I can have a conversation about Jesus's first coming and we celebrate that at the time of Christmas, um, for me, it, it all much, all much more is pointing towards his second coming, um, which then it puts us kind of in the middle of saying, Jesus isn't just someone of the past. He's also someone of the future, which means he can be someone in our present. And have you met him? And do you know him? And so, but that's, that's, that's part of my story. So I would, you know, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead uh, you to share your story of how you've met Christ and the difference that he is and has making, is making in your life. And then weave that in. So. One of the easiest ways I've found to do this is that when you pay attention to the needs of the people you're talking to, and you let them share a little bit of what it's on their heart. I was in a, a, a Walmart not long ago with my son. And he's checking out a bunch of stuff. And I'm at the end where you bag stuff up. And the couple next to me, an older couple, he drops something on the floor. And as he bends over, he goes, oh, I hate getting old. Life is, and he had a few explicitives. And so, you know, I, I bent over and I helped him pick it up and put it away. And I said, yeah, life's hard. It sounds like you've had a difficult time. He goes, well, yeah, I really have had a difficult time. Long story short, within five minutes, he's telling me about his son who never comes around for the holidays anymore. And his wife and he and I then right there in Walmart prayed for their son that he come for Christmas. The point was, I have opportunities to tell about what Jesus has done in my life all the time if I'm willing to pay attention to what Jesus is doing in your life. And you know what I would do for Thanksgiving before you eat? Um, say, can we just go around the table and everybody share one thing they're thankful for? And then have somebody give a real prayer. I, I grew up in a family where everybody went to church, and then we came home and pretty much never talked about it. We always prayed, come Lord Jesus, be our guest, let these guests trust me, bless, amen. Once a year, <laughs> I heard a real prayer 
And that was grandpa praying at Thanksgiving. And that was it. Mm. So I, I would go around the truck. Would everybody, this is Thanksgiving. It's kind of a door. Uh, can everybody say, share one thing they're thankful for, then have a real prayer? And what I would do for Christmas, I just sent out our newsletter, and I sent uh, all these people a little Christmas track called The True Meaning of Christmas. And so either before you have your meal or before you open your presents, you just say, well, this is Christmas. Can, can I just read this for three minutes? You can ask permission if there's, you know, there's hostility. But most people say, here, go, go ahead, uh, mom or dad. or Just a little tr- salvation track on the, the true meaning of Christmas. You can get them in any Christian bookstore. You can go to Good News Tracks uh, or Crossways. Uh, tracks.org, something like that. But um, I'd read a little tract, and there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been increasingly compelled lately that uh, evangelism in the early church was really about their shared life together as a community and, and how they were together. So when you read the book of Acts chapter 2, and it talks about their lived life together, the, the, the Roman world around all of them observed their life together, and they saw something so fundamentally different that just didn't look anything like usual life. Right. And, and from that place of bearing witness to a different kind of community life together, they could then give testimony to the reason why they were living this way. They were living by the resurrection power of the spirit in a different kind of way. And so I've been increasingly compelled that evangelism, yes, is to go tell the, the beautiful story of the good news. But evangelism absent of the displayed life of the community together is kind of a tough sell on some levels. And, and so I know for us in our family around the holidays, we try to gather together and and be a part of Christmas and Advent in a different kind of way than just the hustle and the bustle, the stuff that we all know about, right? Just where it gets to be frantic and you can hardly sleep and you hope to get to the store. I was just at Lund's earlier today, and I think there was 10,000 people in line just trying to get their turkey. And, I, and, and now I'm stressed. I'm not exactly bearing witness in that moment. I'm like, open up another counter, please. And, and so there is something about the shared life together that is um, that, that bears witness to something that then when the time comes, I can say, this is why it's different. But if I'm not practicing it over here, it's tough to be the one that comes and tries to tell you something over here. And that's what we're trying to do in the holiday season right now. Yeah. Nicely done, uh, gentlemen. Here is another question. Why do you think that healing, which was such a huge part of Jesus's earthly ministry, uh, she's, he or she said that people I know are hurt because today God seems to rarely heal the loved ones. Well, I think he That's heals us all the time. Think of all the times you've been sick, and here you are. I mean, do you know that the life expectancy in, in colonial America was like 42 years old? I think he heals us more now than ever. Okay, he uses doctors, but I, this, I mean, I understand the hurt in this question, and how come God didn't heal my five-year-old daughter? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I understand the hurt of all that. It's also true, though. Think of all the times you've been sick, and God has healed you. Mm-hmm. And remember to say thanks for that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that is, I mean, I don't know of a rougher question to ask because I think we all have had people in our lives and in our relationships that you, you, you even get to the point of in the quietness of night, just begging for their healing and just mm-hmm. thinking of the devastation of the loss, um, when, when that happens relationally. And so I think it's the, it's the right and the, and the, the angsty question that we ask, why don't you heal? And, I was talking with my students today a little bit about this as, as they were thinking about this life moving forward and uncertainty in the epidemic of doubt in which we live. And, and we sort of judge God's faithfulness 
according to whether or not our life is lived in a certain kind of way or we're freed from, from pain and turmoil. And his faithfulness is all about the circumstances and how they work out around us. And we began to explore for the better part of 45 minutes today in class that God's faithfulness is not that you will have the kind of life that you deeply desire. His faithfulness is that he will shepherd you in the life, whatever happens and whatever comes, that his faithfulness is that he will always be with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. And, and to set up the expectation that in this world, we are going to have trouble. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we actually want to listen to the Bible, the Bible actually says in this world, you will have trouble. And so why do we, why are we setting up our young people and even our faith of saying, gosh, it should all be great and perfect and all that. No, in this world, we are going to have trouble and the great promise of our heavenly father and, and the faithfulness about which we can sing on any given morning is that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And he can walk us even through those valleys of the shadows of death. And that mm-hmm. is the promise uh, of God's faithfulness. And, and I think to live that kind of way doesn't take away from the pain when somebody is not healed, but it, but it, it puts it in the right perspective in terms of, yeah, this is, we're, we're made for a different world. We don't belong here at the end of the day. We are citizens of a different kind of place. Mm-hmm. And, and as much pain as we have, we will grieve that pain. But the Bible says, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Right. And, right. and that's what it means to have a shepherd who brings hope in the midst of the grief. And as opposed to questioning God's faithfulness because circumstances didn't work mm-hmm. the way we wanted them to, but that is hard. That's yeah. really hard stuff. Yeah, I, two thoughts, just real briefly. I think sometimes it's it's helpful to recognize the different levels of healing that God wants to do. So I'm thinking of you know the four friends that brought the paralytic to Jesus, and you know, the first thing he says is, "Sons, your sins are forgiven." Mm-hmm. Right, and so there there was an inner healing, a spiritual healing that he wanted to occur, and then you know then he says, uh, "Get up, take up your bed, and, and walk." And then and, but then he goes sin no more, and. Um, and I think sometimes we need to, and I've experienced this where, um, sometimes God wants to do a healing at the emotional, spiritual, uh, mental level, even, I mean, even the Bible talks about, uh, salvation as, as, as a healing that God gives. Right. Um, and then I think at another level too, I think of the, the, you know, the, um, the, when Jesus healed the man who was blind and, um, there was a process, right. He first said he saw men kind of walking around like trees, and then he had to pray for him again. So sometimes God, in his wisdom, um, will initiate a process of healing. And sometimes it's completed physically here on this side of eternity. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not. And But we, as to Peter's point, we have the promise that Jesus is coming back and he's going to make all things new. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where our hope Sorry. Yeah, is. So I think those are two thoughts. There's so much more there yeah, in that question. And, I, and it is such a sensitive one. But... God, God still is a healer. We can depend on him and we can trust in his timing. Mm-hmm. I love the question. I'd love to sit with this individual and talk a long time. The, the advantage my wife Jan and I have had is that we've been overseas and we've lived in jungles, uh, Nepal, Bangladesh, uh, you know, those areas. And it's interesting with the Christians over there. They see a lot more healing. Well, they see a lot more healing. They also see a lot more tragedy and death than we do here. We have incredible medicine and things here. But you know what? Here's the funny part. They wouldn't even ask this question. Mm-hmm. They don't even think about asking this kind of question because they accept the chaos of life and sin and brokenness and people living and dying, especially children. Yep. Uh, one of the hospitals we helped start, that day we were there, three children died in the hospital because they were burned in an open fire. I mean, it's just, but people accept that because they know this is the way it works. And they don't have a problem with that because ultimately Jesus is going to have the final word. Mm-hmm. And that was Pastor Tom Parrish, who just spoke, uh, one of the only members of the power panel that uh, got the memo on dress code today. 
Where's your tuxedo? I have it underneath there, maybe. Oh, okay. Uh, maybe. All right, yeah. It's at the dry cleaner. All right, one more quick question before we go to break. This is, uh, please explain the significance of Jesus' words from Matthew 26, where he says, take and eat, for this is my body and this is my blood. We've got a Lutheran oh, and a Catholic oh, and we've got a Baptist. Oh, boy. Yeah. The Catholic's got to be in the audience somewhere. It must somewhere. be break time right now. <laughs> There's a quick answer. Wow. That, that's one of the things that we disagree with. I mean... Northwestern is kind of Baptist, isn't it? Kind of interdenominational. Yeah, but kind of leans Baptist, and <laughs> I, I'm a little surprised they let Tom and I on here on this show because we're kind of Lutherans <laughs> up here. Me too. Me but, too. So, but Catholics <laughs> believe when the priest says the words, the bread and wine actually become the body and blood of Christ, and they're not even bread and wine anymore. Lutherans believe it is bread and wine, but in, with, and under the bread and wine is the real presence of Christ, and then Baptists believe it's more symbolic. So those are the three views, and mm-hmm. yeah. we'll know when Christ returns that the Lutherans were right. <laughs> do, we have, <laughs> do we have one minute? Uh, yeah, like we have one minute. One of the things that I've learned to do is, is I'm a, people keep asking me, are you really a Lutheran? Uh, because I'm very much a Lutheranist with the scriptures. I really study the, the original languages. I really believe in what it says. In that text, Jesus says, this is my body. And when you look at the Greek, it means it is doesn't mean it symbolizes it, doesn't mean it looks like it, doesn't mean it feels like it. And so what I find interesting is that even among all of the Christians, and I do the same thing, we have a tendency to interpret it the way we want it out of our denomination rather than what it actually says. All I'm saying to you is go back and look what the word actually says and take Jesus' word because he knows much better than I do. Hmm. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, I think the next question up is going to be Joe. We're so glad that Joe is here to ask a very interesting question about Romans chapter 11, verse 4. If you have your Bibles open, get them open. Get ready for answers here, guys. You know what I mean? I need you guys to work. (laughs) Listen to the guy talk. If you have a question, send me a text, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back with Guy Talk Live. coming in. I think the next question is from Joe. Joe, welcome. Well, thank you. Thanks for uh, letting me speak today. And what a great show with all the, all you different guys here. So thank here's you. a guy question. Maybe. And we all talk. Yeah, you all talk. <laughs> I was at, Some my, than others. Yep. at my Bible study this weekend, my men's Bible study, and we were talking through Romans 11, particularly two through four, and they're talking about the remnant. And what I thought was interesting is how God had chosen 7,000 of that. And if you remember the verse there, it talks something to the effect that uh, God, it seemed like uh, the chosen people had left God. 
but yet God had chosen 7,000 of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, why did he do that? Is, are, were they predestined? Maybe someone could elaborate a little bit on that. There's a subject we disagree on. I'll <laughs> jump in and I'll answer that. The answer is yes. Now, Paul the Apostle was Jewish. And he's, he's Jewish, Christian, of course. He's writing to the Christians in Rome. And when he gets to Romans chapter 9, he takes on the big question of the day, how come most of the Jews have rejected Christ? And then he answers it in Romans 9, 10, and 11. The first part of the answer is, hey, I'm Jewish. I accepted Christ. So not all Jews have, have rejected Christ, but overwhelmingly they have. And Paul's answer is, yes, according to God's gracious choice, not by their works, but by God's electing choice, God has chosen some uh, of the Jews to be saved. And then he works out the rest of, uh, of all that in Romans uh, 10 and 11. But I, I, it's, I think it's impossible to read Romans 9, 10, and 11 and not believe in predestination. Now, predestination means different things to different people. For me, it doesn't mean just that he knows the future. It, he, he causes the future. I think if you're a Christian here today, it's not because you, you were bright and chose Christ. He, Jesus said to the disciples, John 15, you did not choose me. I chose sure. you. Mm-hmm. And in, when, when the apostles are preaching in the book of Acts, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So I don't think you can believe unless the Holy Spirit opens your heart like he did to Lydia and, and you receive the things. Now, I know that's a big problem. What about all the people that aren't saved? I know. I know. But that's what it says. You were predestined to believe that. I am. <laughs> and to say that right now. I was. Say that. <laughs> so the power panel might be uh, smaller next week. <laughs> uh-huh. Anybody else want to jump in on that? You said good. you had something, Peter. No, no, I'm good. I can okay, go Pontius Pilate on this one. No. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Wash my hands. Yeah. No, I think just one small observation there, and it, you know, and Paul pointing back to Elijah, you know, and he thought, I'm the only one, right? And he kind of had this, you know, woe is me mentality. And I think God opened up and said, actually, no. And that's where he said, there's 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. And so I think um, one, of the, one thing that I, we can discern from that, God is always up to something more than what we can realize in mm-hmm, the moment. Mm-hmm. And, and even when it seems like, you know, things are failing and fading and we're losing and there's less and less, less and less faithful Christians these days, God is faithful to keep his promise. I mean, he said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Um, he's the one who chose Israel. And so ultimately this is a part of God being faithful to his covenant promises. Um, and, and that through Israel and Paul doing that now to the Gentiles, actually being faithful to their mission of actually reaching and being a light unto the nations. And so, um, and so I think part of this is, is showing that God is, God is faithful and he's always doing a lot more than what mm-hmm. we can realize in the moment. Mm-hmm. Now I can add one more thought to that on, on chosen. Uh, somehow in our language, we, we get the idea that once you're chosen, that's it. And, and I do believe that in many senses, but chosen in our language often means that we're chosen for a privilege rather than chosen for a purpose. The Jews were chosen for a purpose. You get to the New Testament, and Peter, what does Peter say about the Christians? He says, you are God's chosen people, Mm -hmm. a royal priesthood. We hardly talk about that among Christians in the New Testament, Mm -hmm. and yet the same language that we use for Israel is now used for the church. And so, you know, I often, people will say, well, because you believe that, you know, you deny Israel. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying the Lord has sovereignty over all both Jews and Greeks and Gentiles. But the point is, what does the Bible actually say? And the Bible actually says, you as believers are his chosen people, a royal priesthood, 
set apart to do his will. And I got to take that seriously if I'm going to take the Old Testament seriously. Mm -hmm. All right. Here's a, a great question. Have you ever had a time or season when you didn't hear the voice of God and weren't sure why? What did you do about it? Mm. Yes, for sure. Okay. I mean, I don't know of anybody, right, that hasn't had a season of what feels like tremendous absence and, and, and the troubling nature of what feels like that absence. And, and I think our ability to live within the voice of God is not indicative of God's presence or absence. He just will sometimes want to move in our lives in ways that are, that are really obvious. And, and sometimes that absence, at least I was, I don't know about you guys, but I know for me, it, it reveals my lack of longing for God. It, it, it's almost like always when I start taking the whole thing for granted about what this journey is like and what we're invited into and, and the, the single-minded nature of being a follower of Jesus, what, at least what we're invited into, a lot of times God is like, mm, why don't I just go a little absent for a bit here and, and uh, bring you in some new places in terms of your dependence on me. That tends to be what it is. But I think we are, we're looking for that magic chain we can yank that God will somehow be at present as opposed to just trusting our shepherd that in his absence, he's teaching. Yeah. And even if we can't sense it or feel it or know it, to just keep trusting the shepherd in the midst of the absence. Yeah, that's such a good word. Because you have to remember that God's um, silence is not his absence. Right. And I think a really excellent book uh, written by Dallas Willard called Hearing God. Um, I would it is an would, excellent would book, recommend yes, it. And sure. he, one of the things that he talks about is all the diversity of ways that God does speak. And sometimes we're not we're not hearing, we're not listening because we're, we have maybe a narrow perspective of what we're actually trying to listen for mm -hmm. and, and how God is trying to speak. And so, um, you know, and, and I think God is, we can trust his ability to speak to us is better than our ability to listen. <laughs> um, and, but I would say real practically in those seasons, like actually treat that as an invitation of God. He wants to take you deeper. He wants to build deeper roots of trust. And it's really, really important during those seasons um, to be immerse yourself in the word of God, uh, be memorizing scripture, uh, be meditating on it and trust that as you store up God's word in your heart, um, the Holy Spirit's going to bring a moment where something's going to come alive. Um, and so keep building that up and, uh, and trust that God is bring, wanting to bring you to a deeper place of maturity in that season. You know, it's interesting because as you look at the, the word and then you look at wanting to hear the Lord's voice or, or feel his presence, and I understand that. In my life, most of the time I didn't feel the Lord's presence or I felt absent was what I wasn't doing what he already told me to do in mm -hmm. the word. Mm -hmm. He already spelled it out. You know, 95% of what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, we had a Bible study last night and the adults there, I love them dearly, but they were driving me crazy because <laughs> everything we, the word would say like about witnessing and that, well, we need to pray about that. No, we don't. No, we don't need to pray about that. He has already told us to do that. What we need to pray about is our attitude, mm -hmm. pray about the opportunity, but we don't have to pray about, should we witness? Mm -hmm. Should we serve? Should we die to ourselves? And I think those are the things that I want to ignore because I would rather tell you to do that than me have to do it. <laughs> yeah. And so I've got to deal with myself. And, then, you know, I, I piggyback on that, that if God has said something, you don't need to pray about it. Like, you know, I, I know my boyfriend's a non-believer, but I prayed about it and it feels right. Yeah, what the scripture says, if you're a Christian, you're married a Christian. Yeah, but I prayed about it and feel. And as I mean, I do believe there's various ways God talks to sure. us. But the way that clouts everything or trumps everything, <laughs> uh, the, the way that trumps everything is the written word of God. Sure. And I, it, we've maybe all been burned by people that have a word from the Lord for us. Oh, yeah. And yeah. 
it wasn't a word from the Lord. So the, I mean, I think overwhelmingly 98% of what you need and I need to know is in the Bible. Mm-hmm. There's that 2%, do I move to California or not, that you got to pray through. <laughs> but overwhelmingly, the scriptures are, are it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask this question. This is a scary question. Uh, but I'm asking it with only a minute left. And this <laughs> question came in yesterday, so I'm no, I'm no fool. Um, just wondering if Tom Brock could sing a few more bars. Uh, he was singing a psalm last week, and he, uh, could you sing a few more well, bars? Well, how many grew up with this song? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye, all ye lands. How many? All right. You know that song? I knew it from a group and you've got the whole psalm 100 and i just made the point sing the scriptures that's the easiest way to memorize yeah them. well you gotta sing a couple bars <laughs> know ye that the lord is god it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves we are his people and the sheep of his pasture mm-hmm. how many don't know that song Wham. Yeah. You should know that song. You've got the whole... As we go to break, i got to apologize to Tom. Tom, I'm yes. sorry. Yes. That gal that wanted to marry you at yes. Hope Lutheran, yes. she's the one who sent her the question. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't uh, get that. Not, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. <laughs> All right, we're no, going to take, take a little break. That's already the completion of uh, hour one, but we're going to do the extended British version today, the extended LP. We've got 30 more minutes, and we're certainly enjoying Guide Talk Live. Thank you so much. If you've got a question, shoot it over, 877-933-2484. My power panel today is, of course, Pastors Tom Parrish, Tom Brock, uh, Pastor Justin Jepson, and Dr. Peter Capture. So glad that you're with me here today, and so glad we've got this amazing live audience. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.